What do you think is your favorite Starfleet uniform? Um, we were talking about this recently on our uh, Lower Deck special, which you can check out back a few episodes ago in the feed. But um, we talked about it kind of very briefly at the end. Yeah, I'm partial to the Voyager uniforms, more, mostly just because of how much I like Voyager. Mm-hmm. That, I believe, is the one where the... Like the bulk of the uniform is is black, and then the sort of across the top is the whatever color. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, should we should we go through just very briefly and talk about? Yeah. So so the, the original series uniforms, right, are just kind of like colored t-shirts, basically. Yeah, they're, they're long sleeve shirts. Yep. Um, um, which, which, but like, I like them though. They're, they're, they're yeah, comfortable. Yeah, I do. You know? And and I do agree with you from what I've seen of when they kind of revisit that era in, in discovery and in like the short treks and presumably in what will be strange new worlds. Um, I really like the sort of the new take on, on that look and that aesthetic I think looks very yeah. good. Well, let's talk about that separately. Cause I, okay. I think that that's, it's, it's very cool and it's very like reminiscent, but I think it also is. It's different enough to be its own style, I think. Yeah. I, I would say. So then Next Generation is... Um, uh, black pants, black shoulders, and the color on like the chest area. Yeah. And then I, Next I like Generation that a lot. is at like, a little bit of an angle, too, right? Like Something's kind of slanted, I feel, in Next Generation. Yeah, and I guess like if we're, if we're being really technical, I'll say the first two seasons... Uh, it was like basically a jumpsuit that I apparently actually I was just Kim was just reading this that apparently was intentionally made one size too small in order to be form fitting. And the first two seasons, I think the uniform looks terrible. And then when they kind of like turn it into like a shirt and pants affair and like make, and make it a little bit looser, it definitely I think improves. I I, I like that look a lot. Um, the TNG later seasons look. And yeah, then we go to Voyager, um, yeah. and Voyager and the first like half of DS Nine uh, is like this too. Yeah, I think it is. Um, and Voyager, I think, is again they kind of carry on like they are very like multi parts. So Voyager, there's a there's like a gray kind of undershirt that I think we actually see in this episode that's like sleeveless, but that mm-hmm. um, you see like the top of through the collar of the the uniform jacket, and the uniform is is black with the, the colored shoulders and then i believe also black pants oh but actually yeah yeah you're right you're right sorry but i forgot we, we can't we gotta we go back so then there was uh the uniforms in star trek the motion picture which only oh, in this yeah only in this movie were these. these these are very ugly um they're like all like gray gray or white or tan and they all like are very like unadorned except for they have like this weird like belt buckle with no belt that is like around the yeah the edges um it, it it's very like uh it, it it looks very much like the the set of the tng enterprise looks <laughs> like like they both look like they just like it looks like the fabric that you would make couches out of in the 80s <laughs> uh it's not good and then yeah then after that, then I think for the rest of the original series movies, it's um, it, it's like a 
how would you describe the original series movies uniforms the ones from later on like they're they're much more formal yeah they're very like thick and yeah formal sort of almost like a like a dress uniform is what they're wearing like it's this kind of they're almost like double breasted i guess Mm -hmm. like uniform jacket that has like a sort of an embroidery around the collar and yeah yeah and they even they even have like a little um they have a flap that like is held up by like some kind of a a a fastener um on them yeah they're those are okay those are okay. Um, yeah, then we go into TNG and then Voyager and then... And the, it should be the, stated that these are all the uniforms that most of the characters, except for the female leads, who have to just randomly wear other clothes. Yeah, right, right. Well, yes, although, although to be fair, who is wearing like, the regular uniforms that everyone else is wearing in the movies. So she, she gets a little bit... A little, a little bit more like parody there, and yeah, and and also yeah, like obviously like Troy wears some truly horrendous outfits for most of uh, yeah for most I... of, of TNG, but she does get her own uniform toward the end, and then that was actually it was very nice like watching in Lower Decks. It was it was cool to see that character. Oh yeah, I, for, I was going to mention that, but I forgot to mention that like Troy gets to like sit on the bridge and wear an actual uniform. Yeah, she's wearing she's wearing like the Voyager style uniform. Um, yeah, which is which is cool. Yeah, and then Deep Space Nine, I think, starts out with the uniform in the same style as Voyager. Yep. Which is like kind of like a, I think, a cool touch that the Starfleet uniforms change over time. But obviously, since Voyager is out of touch with the rest of Star Trek, they just keep the the same ones. Yeah, yeah. But then the later Deep Space Nine are the like gray ones, right? Which is also like in like the the final three. TNG movies, yeah, they're they are. Uh, this is, I think, one of the ugliest ones. This might be the ugliest uniform to appear in a mainline Star Trek show. I think this is, like, yeah, I believe what they are is, yeah, they're black. They're they're like the they're like the other uniforms, like the Voyager uniforms. So they're black on the bottom, and the shoulders are like the kind of this gray, puffy, uh, like kind of corded material. Would you say? Yeah, I guess that's probably the best way to describe it. And the, the undershirt is the color of whatever they are supposed to be. be. Um, uh, rather than being gray, like the, the undershirt is like where you would determine like, oh, okay, you're commander or science or security or, or what have you. Yeah. Not, not my favorite. Yeah, I agree. And maybe it's just because I haven't seen as much of that era. But yeah, I agree. I like the, I like the ones that have more color to them, I think. Yeah, and then we go to Enterprise, which have kind of they have like kind of the astronaut jumpsuit type things where they're all they're all like a kind of a dark blue, but then they have on their shoulders there's like a thin line of fabric that that is like whichever color of whichever division you belong to, and then uh, well yeah, and then there's the Abrams Trek, which is like kind of like a it's like the original series, like aesthetic, but like with a little bit more, almost like kind of like a like an athletic shirt, kind of 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 a fabric. Like it looks like it's like a very like kind of like for working out, like breathable fabric. Yeah, it it does have sort of a like athletic, almost like mesh, not quite mesh, but like that type of. Yeah. Then there's the Discovery uniforms, which are like blue with like gold, kind of trim on them. Uh, maybe I just haven't been paying that much attention, but I actually am not 100% sure how they differentiate between uh, different 
segments of like duties because they, oh, yeah. they really do look pretty similar i actually like those uniforms though because they look very like breathable and functional and like if you look like they all the people are kind of like they have like tennis shoe bottoms almost like uh, on like their feet which is like speaks to me to like a very like we're going for like actual functionality which i think is kind of cool mm-hmm. yeah and then we don't see them very much in picard but then the picard uniforms are kind of like a a take on the kind of Voyager DS9 style uniform where they are mostly black and then they have a shoulder area. And there's a couple of different styles in that you see, I think, depending on whether you're an admiral or what have you. But generally, they're kind of inspired by that look, but they have a little bit, they're a little bit more angular and they're a little bit more adornment to them. Like there's a kind of like a black stripe in them. And then also, like they actually have their cuffs are also the color of whatever division they belong to. Um, yeah, and then you have the uh, lower decks ones, which are which I like a lot, which are basically like a take on the TNG uniform, but they have a flap and they've got a little bit more like definition to them. So, um, yeah, Kim, Kim would agree with you. The Kim's favorite is the is the Voyager look. I think that one is really nice. Um, I like the TNG look too myself, but yeah, I I honestly I might say either lower decks or. Or the the original series ones, oh yeah, which we didn't talk about the original series ones that you see on Voyager, which are like kind of like a similar thing, but they're much more like like fitted, and then they're, they're kind of like they have like a slightly like asymmetrical like collar. Um, but I I think those look really nice as well. Um, so yeah, that that those would probably be my picks. But yeah, I I do think the Voyager one looks really good. I think most of them have their their charms. I think the the Star Trek motion picture uniforms are really bad, and um, I don't really like the uniforms that you see in the later part of DS9 and in the the last few TNG movies. But overall, though, like I do like that they keep on mixing it up. I, I enjoy like being able to like talk about like, oh, what do you think about this series' uniforms? Like, I, I I like that it's not just that not everybody is just always wearing, you know, one kind or the other. Yeah. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two guys who have seen a part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And today we are talking about an episode of Voyager called Nothing Human. It is season five of Voyager, episode eight. Uh, This one was uh, written by Jerry Taylor and directed by David Livingston, thus uh, giving us a a short reprieve from... uh, Episodes directed by LeVar Burton. No shade to LeVar Burton. I love LeVar Burton, but we've been watching some LeVar Burton-directed episodes. I've been watching some in my own life as well. I think I just watched an episode or two uh, ago of, of DS9 uh, was one directed by LeVar Burton. So uh, yeah. seeing a lot of... He's, he's directed like 30-odd episodes, I think, of, of various Star Trek shows. So nice. he's we'll, we'll, we'll see his name pop up quite a bit, I think. The Memory Alpha entry for this episode is When an injured non-humanoid alien attaches itself to Lieutenant Torres... A hologram of a notorious Cardassian exobiologist is created to help the doctor remove it from her. Now, we were just kind of talking about this a little bit off the air before we started. I'm curious as to why this episode is called Nothing Human, other than that none of the main characters in this episode are human. Right, which I don't know that that was the intent. That's a frequent thing that happens in Star Trek, though, is that main characters are not human, so I don't really know. There's nothing about this that strikes me as you should be naming it Nothing Human for any other reason. Yeah, it's not particularly about humanity or lack thereof. Yeah, like maybe I would say like nothing humanoid, 
like because if, if you're referring to like the the strange creature that attaches itself to Taurus, but mm-hmm. I don't know what else would what else would be the cause. Um, uh, when you take us in, and I'm going to kind of quietly figure out okay. how I can figure out why they decided to name it this. <laughs> yeah. So this show starts. Well, the little cold open is of the doctor basically giving a, a slideshow to the rest of the crew of like his greatest adventures on Voyager for some reason, um, and everyone being very bored by it. And then as they're leaving, the ship gets first like hit with an energy wave that contains a like a distress call or a message that they can't interpret. That's in this like these just sort of screechy sounds that they can't translate and then they come across a ship that has one life form in it the ship is about to explode the life form is is clearly injured and so they beam it to sick bay and then while they're trying to sort of figure out what's going on with it in sick bay it kind of lunges at torres and sort of attaches itself to her and i did read about how Apparently, Roxanne Dawson was really annoyed that she just had to spend the rest of the filming of the show just laying on a bed with a big, heavy thing on top of her. Yeah, I read that also, that she's basically said she felt like a prop in this episode. Yeah. Although she does get to be one half of the best scene in the episode, which we'll talk about at the end, but in my opinion, anyway. All right. And so then, as they're trying, because this, this thing that's attached to her is kind of taking over all of her vital organs and systems to keep itself alive, but that's slowly killing her. And they're trying to figure out how to remove it from her without killing her. And it's kind of beyond the knowledge of anything that they have, because this is so alien to them and so different from anything they've ever encountered before. And they decide to... Basically, the kind of science explanation behind why they justify doing this is that the ship's computer has kind of access to all Starfleet's medical records, but the doctor's program, or like they call like his like programming matrix, is only able to hold a certain amount of that information within it. And so they create a second holographic program to contain all of that other information. And the doctor's like going through these records and he decides to, in order to kind of personify that to use this famous uh, exobiologist who studied a lot of these things, whose name is Krell Moset, who it turns out is a Cardassian, who are these kind of, I don't know at this point if they're still officially, I guess they're not officially the enemies of the Federation, but they're this race that is notorious, especially among the Bajorans and the Maquis, who a lot of the crew uh, formerly were before the events of the beginning of Voyager wound them all up here. Um, they were formerly Maquis. They weren't uh, you, They weren't formerly Bajoran. You, well, I guess, yeah. You're once them, a Bajoran, always a Bajoran. Some of them still but, are Bajorans, yes. Yeah. Uh, one of them is, is not still Bajoran, but I don't think we've gotten to that. Um, but the, the Maquis um, were fighting... The Cardassians were sort of this like very oppressive, cruel overlords of Bajor and a lot of other planets uh, that they were fighting for their freedom against yeah well basically yeah they were kind of like a very expansionist empire and uh they kind of held sway over several planets most notably bajor which is where 
like most of uh, Deep Space Nine is set like in and around the planet of Bajor, and they had like kind of a very cruel occupation there that ends like right before like DS9 starts, and it ends as part of a peace treaty with the Federation, and as part of that peace treaty, they exchange hands like some planets, and that's where the Maquis start basically is that the Maquis don't like the terms of this peace agreement and are basically committing like kind of depending on your point of view, like freedom fighter resistance stuff, or like small like acts of terrorism against the the Cardassians to like yeah. resist the Cardassian control over some of these planets. And Starfleet kind of half-heartedly kind of uh, prosecutes Maquis people because like they're also in violation of like the the you know, the peace treaty that the that Starfleet yeah. is trying to enforce, which is the, and that's how the premise of Voyager gets going is that then ultimately through things we've discussed in other episodes, that's how half of Voyager ship is now made up of Maquis of people. people. So Maquis. yeah, yeah. definitely can people, people who do not uh, love the Cardassians who are going to be on the ship. Yeah. And so, so the doctor and, and Krelmoset start working together in the lab and, and really hit it off. Krelmoset, who by the way is portrayed by David Lennon, who I will say, even in Cardassian makeup, does a very good job of playing a very, like, d- doctorly doctor. Like, he's a very quintessential, like, d- television doctor. Yeah, he, he he did a really good job. I thought he was really, it was a really good, kind of, like, weirdly charismatic performance for, like, what he was doing, which we'll get to like, yeah. in a bit. But, like, yeah, I thought he did a really good job. Yeah. And so, as they they, they keep working together and are trying to kind of find out everything they can about this this alien life form and figure out how to get it off of Torres. And so to do that, they, they recreate the um, that doctor's uh, sort of lab, which is, and I, I think you talked about this a little bit on the last episode of Voyager we did, um, how it's kind of interesting to see the architectural differences between different races. Yeah. Um, just in terms of like colors and shapes and like it, it very much... Uh, has a like Cardassian feel in the same way that like some stuff on deep space nine does. And, and that. Yeah. And you had not watched this episode at the time that we, we recorded the last episode. Yeah. I guess I hadn't yet. And you, you had, yeah, I, I had. And so like, I was thinking about that and the episode we watched, like, yeah, I think this is, it, it really does feel like a Cardassian space in a way that like, it does not feel like a place where a Federation person will be working. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, and there's there's kind of a brief interaction where they they make a, a holographic sort of copy of of this life form and then start doing surgery on it to like examine what's going on inside of it. That kind of disturbs the doctor because they're using this like wicked looking scalpel knife and actually cutting it open. Well, it, this is a strange little thing, but like they're not actually doing it to the life form. They have created right. like a holographic reproduction of it as best as they can and are then trying and then are, are working on it that way right yeah and he uses this like very weird looking scalpel and it, it appears to not be using any like anesthetic either while he's doing it and so like it definitely appears that this this creature in as much as they can actually figure out what its deal is at all is in pain yeah um, although they, they can't they can't speak its language it's it's so different that it's not really um yeah the universal translator can't engage with it at all mm-hmm. and then so initially torres kind of sees this doctor working and is like oh well he's a cardassian i don't want a cardassian taking care of me 
and is initially just kind of being portrayed as like being sort of racist. Mm -hmm. But then kind of the twist is one of the Bajoran members of the crew, whose name is Tabor, comes and sees the doctor and actually recognizes him and tells everyone that when the Cardassians occupied Bajor, this doctor committed all these atrocities and like unethical experiments on Bajorans and killed hundreds of Bajorans in the name of science, like would infect them with a virus to try to find a cure for that virus and was, was doing all this like unethical things and, and even I think killed members of his own family of Tabor's family, right? Was how he knew yeah. him. he killed like his grandfather or something. And we'll come back to this more in depth. I think like in our discussion area, but like when I was watching it, I really was getting like very big time, uh, Joseph, uh, Mengele, um, yeah. vibes off this guy, just Mengele being like a, infamous like nazi doctor who did terrible experience experiments on people in concentration camps during the during the world war ii i would not recommend you look up what he did unless you want to be horrified i mean like you know it's it's important to know but like don't look it into it if you're just curious or whatever but it's really bad stuff worse even than the stuff that they talk about it, the guy doing in this episode yeah and i looked it up later and that that was definitely the intention of the writers of this episode is to make him kind of like um, a Mengele figure. Although, like, I-, I would say, based on what I know about Mengele, this guy is actually much more um, successful, I think, because most of what Mengele was doing was, like, weird stuff, like, trying to, like, figure out if there was anything interesting about like, twins or people with, like, different colored eyes or things like that. Yeah, not things that actually advanced medical science in any yeah. helpful way. Not, not that it would have been okay if he had, of course, sure. but like, the, you know, this guy is mentioned, like he did actually end up finding a cure for this virus that was ravaging, I think, both Bajoran and Cardassian populations like during the occupation. So, yeah, I think they do say at one point that like he like he saved thousands of or like millions of Bajoran lives, yeah. too. Yeah. And, and I think that w- it is a very clear parallel that they kind of intentionally made this episode about yep which i i have some issues with but we'll we'll come back to that (laughs) that's fair yeah and so that becomes kind of the big debate among the decision ends up coming to really the captain and the doctor together of is it right to and this is kind of the weird thing that sometimes happens with star trek is they set up a situation that is intended to parallel a real-world thing, but the specifics don't actually, because the program they're using is is just a hologram, and so it's not the actual like doctor that committed atrocities and war crimes. Yeah. Um, and like doesn't even know that that doctor did that thing until he's told along with the rest of them, because mm-hmm. it's just based on what the Federation's records of him were. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. basically the Cardassians had kind of covered up all the terrible stuff. Yep. But the debate comes, like, should they allow that knowledge, essentially using the hologram as a representation of the knowledge that was gained by the terrible things that he did, allow that to be used to save someone's life? Mm -hmm. Or should they, like, delete it and lose all of that knowledge because of the way it was gained? Yep. And so Taurus herself, like, kind of outright refuses to be treated by him. Says, I'd rather die. Yeah. But then she goes unconscious, and Janeway is like, no, do it. 
Yeah, and so the decision comes down to Janeway, who decides to do it and says the consequences and the responsibility will fall just on me. And so they do, and they successfully... And meanwhile, I guess the B-plot is that, like, Janeway and Chakotay and Harry Kim, and I guess Seven of Nine, like, sort of the rest of the crew is trying to figure out how to decipher this distress call or this message that they got from the alien ship and, like, send it out to, like, try to contact other members of this race to see if they can come and help them. And I guess they kind of do... They kind of do. Like, another ship flies up and actually, like, gets very mad at them. And then the procedure the Doctor is doing works, and they're able to remove the the creature from Torres, and then they just beam it back onto the ship of, like, the of its race. And the ship, like, makes a screeching sound, like, and then, and then Janeway says, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, I, okay, sure. We don't, we don't really know. Uh, that that's what they were saying, but all right. And yeah, that's kind of just like to give them something to do. Like, it doesn't really seem like it has a lot of consequence for most of the episode, but this is, this is really an yeah. episode about mostly about uh, the doctor and this guy. And then like to a lesser extent, um, Bolana. Yeah. And then like at the very end, Janeway, I guess. <laughs> yes. But then the go, go back to like, you know, how the denouement of the doctor plot line. Cause I like we've actually. Yeah. And so the, just the like the the kind of the very last scene or the well just yeah so she tells him to do it and then yeah he so he does it and it works um and then so then the closing after they've finished all of this is torres kind of is recovering in her quarters and janeway comes in to check on her and also just to kind of talk about what happened and torres is clearly still very angry that Janeway went against her wishes and allowed her to be treated by the Cardassian. And they leave that kind of unresolved. Like they both, both Torres and Janeway kind of make their case and then are both clearly upset and just leave. That's the best scene in the episode though, I think. That scene I thought was very well done. Yeah. Um, And then the the closing scene is that Janeway essentially leaves it up to the doctor because when he had first created this program and was they were really getting along and enjoying each other, and the doctor was con- talking about how he wanted to just keep Chromoset on as as another holographic member of the crew, like to sort of assist him in sick bay and and that, and Janeway lets him decide whether to whether to keep that or to delete his program and those files um, because he's the the chief medical officer of the ship. Mm-hmm. And he goes and kind of uh, has a little bit of a debate with Chromoset and then decides to uh, to delete him. And then, you know, he disappears and the lab disappears and, and you see the doctor kind of walking out of the holodeck. And that's, that's how the episode closes. Mm. So this, I think, falls under kind of like some of the other episodes of Voyager we've watched where... I think Voyager is sometimes purposefully trying to... We've talked about this before. Like It's kind of harkening back to the original series in a lot of ways, where it's like, let's do everything new. But also, I think it's also harkening back into the original series in a lot of ways, in that like, I feel like they have like a higher rate of... like Very special episodes. Yeah, what you could call like explicitly issue-based episodes than, than like yeah. probably any other Star Trek since original series 
And I think that's very like laudable, and I like that. But I also think that like we've definitely watched some episodes of Voyager where they tried, and I'm glad that they did. But I don't really think that they quite came down with like the right takeaway, or like they're on the right side of an issue or something. And I, I think ultimately I would, I would file this episode, an episode that I thought was like very interesting. It held my attention the entire time, and like I thought it was like pretty well acted and stuff. But like ultimately. The thing that they're saying, which is that, to me, the the message what they were saying was like, we should never profit off of unethical medical research. I don't think that that's accurate, and I also don't think that that's even a true principle that anyone has been following ever. And this is actually like, I don't know if this is really a Brady's medical corner, but like, this is a kind of a ask Brady to, like, talk about, you know, to your knowledge, like, whether this is true or not. I mean, like, people have been doing bad medical practices for a long time, and that doesn't make it okay. I'm not saying that. But, But, like, it's not like if you did learn something useful during that, that you just were like, well, we we can't ever use this information because someone did a bad thing to get it, right? Like, that's not really anything yeah it's it is an interesting question because like on the one side yeah like just because of how much like science and medicine has built on itself for so long and goes back so far like it's all built on stuff that you know if you go back to hippocrates or whatever like a lot of stuff they did i'm sure would be would not clear an institutional review board and be considered ethical stuff now um i think psychiatry especially is one of those areas where a lot of our knowledge of stuff in that is based on experiments that were very ethically questionable of like doing like very traumatizing things in situations to people like the Stanford prison experiment and stuff like that. The specifically, and this was something I was meaning to kind of look into and didn't have a chance to, and also wasn't sure how to do it without my search history getting put on a watch list was of like specifically the, like Holocaust era, you know, Nazi scientists, you hear about all these kind of terrible experiments they were doing on people in that. And I don't, like, I can't think of any actual advancements or like specific things that came out of that. Yeah, I'm not aware of that either. Yeah. Whereas like in this episode, this guy through these terrible experiments actually developed the cure for this virus. Or like, I know the big example in medical ethics that's always used in in the American system is the the Tuskegee syphilis study, mm. which was basically a like funded by the the government, like National Institution of Health, and they got a bunch of impoverished black men that were suffering from syphilis, and told them they were going to just like receive free treatment for it, and enrolled them in this study and instead just kind of collected a bunch of data and did a bunch of tests and didn't actually properly treat them, even though over the course of while the study was still running was when penicillin was discovered and it was found out that there was actually this drug that could very easily and successfully treat syphilis. And they didn't give that treatment to them because they wanted to just basically the point of the study was just to follow the entire disease course of syphilis to its end stages. Mm and there's all sorts of degrees of like both medically and like socially that you were taking this already oppressed and 
and underrepresented and taking advantage of this power differential and status differential and lying to these people and all these things. And that one, we didn't actually learn anything of any use or value in, in mm. medicine based on that. It was just terrible and, and nothing good came out of it. Other than the, I mean, we learned a whole lot about medical ethics based on that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. The response to that was a lot of the systems being set in place that still kind of govern how we manage, uh, especially research, uh, like how do we make sure that it's being done ethically and fairly and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and I think that's a, I don't know that I'd exactly call it to the same degree as like the lifeboat problem where it's, it's setting up a sort of hypothetical scenario that may not actually be as true as it thinks. You know, I don't know of cases where it's like, we discovered like the cure for a thing, but the way we did it was terrible and unethically. Should we use that to cure this thing? Mm -hmm. But yeah, but I think so much of medicine is built on just things being done a different way for so long that like was wrong and couldn't be done now. Um, that it's, you can't really kind of like excise all of that from what we have now and are doing now. You just kind of have to do the best you can now to do things the right way. I do get the, the ethical argument though of that it, it's tough even to like, if there were something that direct, even to accept it because, because then what happens is that you feel like you're legitimizing. You feel like you're legitimizing or like justifying it or that I feel like the possible danger is that then some scientists will say like, Oh, well, I recognize that what I'm doing is unethical and I personally will probably be demonized for it, but the good that will come out of it is will be worth it because I know that like they'll still use this cure if I can develop it this way. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's kind of how they portray this doctor is less of a, you know, it's not like he was doing sadistic things just because he like felt like being mean and terrible to Bajorans. Like, he didn't care. Yeah, I feel like they present him as like he thought he was doing the right thing and like advancing medicine and acting for the greater good. And uh, the, mm, kind of the ends justified the means for him. I don't know. I, I think that he kind of feels that way, but also like I don't think he really cares that much. Like, like that's it's. I think it's like he thinks that it, it's all about the science to him. Like he, mm -hmm. I, I think like he doesn't really care that the the creature uh, in this episode feels pain. He doesn't really care that any of the Bajorans died. It wasn't like he was sad the Bajorans died. It just was like, well, you know, whatever. Like, the important thing is the science, and so if some people had to be sacrificed on the altar of science for me to figure this out, like, that's fine with me. And I don't think that's like, quite the same thing as him being like, well, some people had to die for the greater good, and I feel bad about it, but... Because it doesn't really seem like he feels that bad. I mean, <laughs> it's funny, too, like, the now that I'm thinking about it, like the idea that the reason why nobody in the Federation knows that this guy is a, is a war criminal is because he, it's not in their records. But then when they first explain it to the hologram, he's like, Oh, okay. I guess I, I guess I, maybe I did do those things, but, I, <laughs> but then like by the end of it, he's just like, yeah, whatever, man. Like doesn't, like, so it's, I, I was kind of like, well, why does, if the computer didn't know that he did this, like, why is it, why is his personality 
like this where he just doesn't care, you know, like you yeah, think his personality would be more like standard doctor, you know, stuff uh, rather than like why, why once they told him he was a war criminal, was he like, yeah, okay, sure. I'm going to lean into this and use, uh, use this big scalpel without uh, anesthetic. Uh, yeah, that is good. But um, I know what you're saying, but like, I just don't think that that's true. That like, if something was gleaned from a negative practice that it was just then ignored because it wasn't ethical the way that it was found out. I just don't. And, and if that's the case, I don't really think that that should be the case. Like I, I think, and, and, and I, I definitely understand like, yeah, you don't want to, like I, I was even while we were talking, I was looking at, cause you mentioned like in like the psychiatry field, like I looked up uh, the Stanford prison experiment and it even says on Wikipedia that like some psychology textbooks have chosen to exclude the Stanford prison experiment because of it had, you know, pretty unethical like methodology. So I guess I do understand that, but at the same time, but at the same time, I feel like there's a difference between like, even if you don't like report the results of it, you know, because of how like science works, like it's very hard to exclude the findings of like one specific thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it just becomes incorporated into your understanding of in in the case of that like how people view themselves and view others and interact that then like probably inspired other experiments that even if those experiments were ethically done like wouldn't have been sort of composed or or had the idea to do those that way if we didn't have the understanding mm-hmm. of kind of those findings and and i also don't necessarily know that you know that those things should be and and this i guess is a, a kind of a thing currently too with with like looking back at our nation's like history of institutionalized racism and oppression and that of where's the line between like not recognizing things that happened in the past as like should we acknowledge that they happened and say what was terrible about them or should we like completely excise them and like pretend like they never happened at all yeah, I mean, that's, I think it's still a little different though, because like the debate I think about that stuff is, yeah, pretend like they never happened, but not because, not because like they're shameful, but just because like we just don't, we want to like all those people to still be heroes, you know, like we want to all like Thomas Jefferson. And so we're going to pretend like he didn't rape his slaves or have slaves or whatever, you know, like, sure. Uh, I don't I think that's a quite the same thing, but I actually was just thinking about this though. So a podcast I listen to on occasion is Sawbones, which is a kind of a medical history podcast. And so there have been some people who have made some gains in like the fields of like anatomy or things like that because they were grave robbers or they paid grave robbers. And now I don't think that grave robbing is as bad as what this guy was doing in this episode, right? And there were reasons why they were doing grave robbing too, because like it was kind of not considered to be like a cool thing to like donate your body to science back then. And so like people who were trying to figure out more about the human body, they really didn't have a lot of cadavers to work with in some cases. And so they would rob graves or they would pay people to rob graves or whatever. But like grave robbing though, it's not good. You know, it's, it's, it's a bad thing. Right. It's still criminal. And yeah, but people did learn stuff from, the cadavers that they experimented on. And yeah, I don't, I don't think that that, that has been stricken from, you know, people have obviously built on that since then, but like that was like a foundational piece. And so 
and you know, I think it's you know, in this case, like this guy in Voyager. I would guess I haven't done the research on this, but I would guess just based on the time period and based on kind of what they're describing, like the virus that he's infected people with, like I, I, I think it would be a fair comparison to kind of compare it a little bit to like AIDS say, right. Or HIV, like, and mm-hmm. like if a terrible person who did terrible stuff developed a cure for HIV you're going to use the cure. You're not going to give that guy a Nobel prize. You're going to still throw him in jail and talk about how he's a terrible person. And you still don't want to reward the behavior, but you also want people to not, to not have HIV. Right. Like, and so you're going to use that, that knowledge, even if the knowledge was gained in an unethical way, I think. I mean, like, like, do you, are you, yeah. Am I, or am I off base? Like, no, yeah, I think, and I mean, I I guess that is the the question of the episode. But I I think that yes, ultimately, like that is the kind of for whoever's decision that is to make after the fact. Like that is the the more ethical thing to do. Then is to like do what is going to help people in that. But it's a it's a very dangerous thing to like do that without kind of glorifying or even condoning something that was terrible that was done to allow that. Yeah. I think like something else that kind of bugs me a little bit about this episode is that I feel like they kind of take some narrative shortcuts to kind of make their point that I don't think are really justified. Uh, So like, you know, for one thing, like there's that big decision at the end about like, should the doctor delete this guy? this like very valuable information database. Like it's going to be like this big kind of like, there's no going back from this thing. But like earlier in the episode, Harry Kim makes him in like two seconds. Yeah. He's just like, take these things and like, yeah, make a matrix. And the computer's like, okay. And you could make it out of someone who's not that guy. If you wanted to, if like, if that that was your hang up, you know, like, yeah. Cause that was just a, like, I think they, they say that basically the doctor was like going through these records and was like, well, this guy seems like the best, essentially just using him as like a face to represent a database full of information on exobiology. Right. Which a lot of which he, he, that guy founded, but yeah. yeah. It's not like just that guy's, it's not just his research mm-hmm. is the other thing. It's like all of the information within this group of science that the. But yeah, the other thing though that bugs me is about, with the narrative shortcut stuff is that like. Ultimately, like to show how much of a cost there is to this, rather than using just that guy's knowledge and information to get the bug off of Balana, they actually have him use his own methods. Like, because there's an early scene in the episode where, with like the like painful scalpel and yeah, well, because the fir- the first time you see that scalpel and he starts cutting into the the bug. Uh, the doctor's like, oh, he's beat. you're hurting him. Shouldn't we just use like a, a laser scalpel? And he's like, no, no, you got to use this because it it connects you to the patient or whatever. And that's before it's revealed that this guy's a criminal. But I, like even before that, I was like, came and I were kind of like, I thought you this guy's gonna be bad. And then the, and then when I have like, yeah, he's definitely gonna be. It's gonna turn out he's a bad guy. But then at the end, once Janeway tells them to go ahead and do it, they still use the regular scalpel. And it's like you don't need to do that. You could just use. The laser scalpel. Yeah, because they end up just needing to like stimulate like a some node in its nervous system or whatever. Yeah, you don't. Which presumably there's more 
modern ways to to do that than slicing it open. Yeah, and they're they're trying to make a point about like what this costs, but it's like that's not actually valid because like yeah, it's like we have built on those people who do the grave robbing, but now that doesn't mean that every time we want to like learn something about the body that we now have to rob a grave to do it because like we've recognized that that's wrong and we're not going to do that. And not only that, but we, we don't need to do it anymore. Like they, he doesn't need to use yeah. that scalpel. So why would they just go ahead and have him do it? And I feel like it's all kind of like for the purposes of like proving their point, but it's not, I don't really necessarily agree with the point, And I also don't really think that like, that's a valid like tool at their disposal to, to, to like make that point that they're trying to make. So, yeah, but, I, I mean, like that being said, like I did, I was really interested in this episode. I followed it the whole time. There's some other good stuff we haven't even talked about. Like we haven't even talked about like the scene at the beginning when, when the doctor is like showing a slideshow of a bunch of like pictures he's taken of like weird body parts, like uh, Vulcan reproductive organs and stuff like that. And he's <laughs> yeah. in this internal slideshow. And then, and then, yeah, like the scene between Janeway and Taurus where, where Taurus is mad at her for doing this and, and Janeway like, yeah. just kind of very like firmly is like, I had to make a decision. I'm the captain. You're my crewman. I did what I thought was best. Like where it just really just like shows off the chops of Kate Mulgrew. And that was like the last thing I watched of Voyager before that news that we, we learned Oh yeah. about her being uh, in this upcoming show. And so I was really just like riding, riding high on some Janeway when I, when I, saw that news and I got very excited, you know? So like, there's a lot of good stuff in it, but like, yeah. I will say is that scene, like the sort of bigger ethical issues aside in that scene in particular, I actually really do think that like Janeway is the one in the wrong, mm. um, which they kind of portray it the other way is like Torres is just kind of being unreasonably angry because she's Torres and you know, Janeway did the right thing. But I feel like that is an actual, like, when she's like clearly made her wishes clear of like while she was still in her right mind, like she knew what was going on and she made an informed decision. Like I do not want this treatment. And then as soon as she lost consciousness to sort of supersede that and be like, no, give her this treatment. I don't care what she wanted. Like that is unethical. Like that is something you cannot do. And I don't know if there's like a military side of it is like, because she's a member of her crew, like she has that authority to do that. But, in any like medical ethics I know like right that is not something you can do that's a good point because I did kind of side with Jamie a little bit on that I think a because I think there's there's a little bit of nuance to that because like I agree with you that in real life you should abide by the medical wishes of your patient in in most cases unless they're like not of sound mind or, or something like that but like it is important to like note that like Blonde already didn't want the Cardassian doctor to operate on her before she found out he was a war criminal. You know, she just didn't yeah, like him because he was Cardassian. But and then also, yeah, I do think that like it's very clear to me, and this doesn't necessarily make it okay, but I think this is like this is kind of a moral gray area that I'm comfortable with the show like playing in because I think it's it's interesting. It does seem like Janeway didn't do that because she likes Taurus. She did it she because did it because she's like a necessary member of the crew. Yeah, she needs an engineer. She's like, if I if I let Taurus decide that she doesn't want this life saving medical procedure, then all of us could die. You know, because like she she is like the best engineer and she knows how the ship works and stuff. And that might not be ultimately the ethical decision. 
That is like kind of honestly like a more a more interesting ethical question to me than the one actually posed by this episode is like that because that does kind of get into some real like needs of the many versus needs of the few kind of uh, yeah. discussion. But like I think that's that's really interesting it, and like more a little bit more of like a to me like kind of a, a brain teaser than maybe the core issue was here. That's fair. And then again, I thought that scene was just really, really well acted. Uh, I, I liked that scene a lot. Um, there is one other little thing I wanted to talk about, though. I was listening to a podcast. Uh, and I've been talking about podcasts a lot today, but um, <laughs> I've been listening to this. It's a new kind of like leftist politics podcast called Bad Faith, and it's hosted by Virgil Texas, who is like a, a leftist podcaster from uh, the Chapel Trap House podcast, and then also by uh, Brianna Joy Gray, who is who is the former comms director for uh, Bernie Sanders, and it's a very like interesting, like I think informative, like but also like a very funny show. And they had an episode come out uh, at the end of September called Quid Pro Quo, and it is um, it was it was mostly about different kind of, uh, at that time, kind of current event stuff in, like, kind of leftist politics. But there is kind of, like, this very fun, like, very funny, but also, like, very kind of charming discussion in that episode about Star Trek because Brianna Joy Gray is, like, a huge Star Trek fan and uh, Wyatt Cenac, formerly of, like, The Daily Show and Problem Areas and stuff, was on that episode. And he kind of mentions that, like, Star Trek or that Starfleet is kind of like an imperialist military force and she kind of gets into an argument about him and it's really <laughs> it's very funny and fun and like I kind of was like I really enjoyed listening to Brianna talk about stuff and to, to the point where I was kind of I think I tweeted like my new goal for for our podcast is to get famous enough so we can have Brianna Joy Gray on the, on the show but something that she was kind of talking about is that when she was a kid she thought that that DS9 was kind of like like Nazi Germany kind of like having like occupying like parts of Europe and like killing Jews and stuff like that. And then as she got older, she kind of like it kind of to her turn, turned more into like kind of a little bit more shades of gray shades of like who's occupying who kind of like, and how can we get along stuff of the Israel Palestine conflict mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. like certainly both, like both of these parties have been here for so long that like neither one of them has complete claim to like, both of them consider it their own home. Yeah, which is, like, not a perfect analogy, because obviously, like, the Cardassians are clearly the occupiers there, and they've they've only been occupying Bejar for about, like, 50 years, so it's not like, yeah. you know... And there's, there's also, like, lots of other things we could talk about in terms of, like, Palestinians were there, and then Israel was kind of carved out of this area, and obviously, like, historically, like, Israel was a place in that area, but, like, then... It was carved out like by a colonialist empire, Europe, yeah. yeah, to come back in, and now and now we're all expected to like treat the Palestinians like they're not supposed to be there when they've actually been there for a lot longer, like in recent history. But you know, she was kind of talking about that. That's more of a nuanced thing, and I think watching a lot of DS Nine, but also like watching this episode, I kind of was struck by like how sometimes I think the show wants to have its cake and eat it too when it comes to that discussion because, like this very clearly was like Nazi stuff, you know, in this episode and it doesn't, there are a couple of recurring characters on DS nine who are Cardassians. One of whom is like, I think ultimately probably leans towards being a good guy. And one of whom kind of ultimately leans towards being a bad guy, but they're both kind of like, they have a little bit more nuance to them, but like, 
if they knew that there's like this crazy awful dude who is doing all this stuff and like they were part of like the power structure that was like part of the occupying force it's like well that's unambiguously terrible like and we shouldn't we shouldn't have episodes with Gul Dukat where like Gul Dukat then is working with members of of Starfleet to like do jobs like we should always be like no Gul Dukat like a terrible man who like yeah. was part of the occupation and knew that this was happening and let it happen so that there's like a little bit of like I think like in world inconsistency that kind of when you have the Cardassians doing really really bad stuff, I think like then for for people like Garrick or especially people like Goldacott for them to show up and sometimes be, and I you know I haven't seen the I have not seen the end of DS Nine but I do think that ultimately I think I would say I think Goldacott becomes pretty bad. Yeah, I think yeah I think he ultimately breaks bad, uh, whereas like I think Garrick goes the other way, and, and Garrick also like I think like kind of has like very much like repented of his whole life. And so like, that's something where it's not necessarily great for like real world stuff, but like, I think it, it works for that character. But like in the early seasons of the show, Goldicott is like a bad guy, but he's kind of like a fun bad guy. And sometimes he goes on little missions with, with the other people where they kind of don't like him, but like, then they talk about like how Goldicott's, missing his son's birthday and though in a way he is kind of like us and it's like that's not you can't do that if the Goldicott knows that like is a space Nazi <laughs> yeah if Goldicott is a Nazi you can't really do that stuff and so that was another thing that was like, kind of bothering me because because like my primary interaction right now with Cardassians is watching DS9 on my own time and like seeing those characters and then seeing like this guy who is like truly truly awful it's kind of like this thing of like I don't think you can really when you have stuff like this happening, it's hard to make like that overall conflict ambiguous, you know, because Starfleet's not doing that kind of stuff. The Bajorans aren't doing that kind of stuff. Even, you know, the Maquis get kind of close sometimes, but even then it's like, you know, it, the last episode we watched of Voyager was about her sending like basically a nuclear weapon toward the Bajorans. And, and, you know, I'm not in favor of nuclear weapons, but like if, you know, if she was yeah, going still could be to, to kill like a bunch a of those time. people... Like it's kind of like okay, well, I get it, you know. Like I, I don't, I don't, I still don't like agree with it, but like, it's a little bit more understandable why she was doing that, and also like why she was full of such hatred. That really, like the the stuff that they talk about him doing in this episode, really is really bad. And again, it, it's explicitly designed to keep you in mind of a real person who did stuff that was way worse, you know. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. That's just like a. I think it, the, the episode does not really work as a message episode it works in that it really held my attention you know and i thought it was yeah like it engages drama, you in the story that yeah. they're telling yeah anyway so well well thank you everybody for listening uh um you know, normally we come out uh every other week every other sunday i mean and uh so in, in a couple weeks you can tune back in and we'll be talking about another episode the next episode we're talking about is uh ds9 season six episode nine it's called Statistical Probabilities. Uh, so you can check that out in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Contracts. You can email us at outofcontracts.gmail.com or you can visit our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com. Contracts is spelled C-O-N-T-R-E-K-S. Um, you can also check out some of our sister podcasts. We're on the Cloudscope Media Network. You can listen to Here's Johnny, which is a podcast about horror media. You can listen to That's Not How Science Works, which is a podcast about 
kind of the intermixing of science and pop culture and like kind of whether shows and movies and such actually do that stuff right or whether it's kind of full of crap. And you can also listen to Wizard Studies, which is a show about uh, Harry Potter. A very like, uh, as I can, I feel like I have to continually say more and more every time we talk about it. It's a very kind of uh, open and, uh, you know, affirming LGBTQ friendly uh, take on Harry Potter, not not in line with um, the current views of the author of Harry Potter. So, um, yeah, so <clears throat> you can check any of those out. Um, and yeah, I guess until then, uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.